0: Today's scripture is Exodus 1, 1 1-7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt then joseph died and all his brothers and all the and all that generation but the people of israel were fruitful and increased greatly they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them you may be seated as you see let me pray for us once more father we know you are here present with us and we want your help this morning Help help to see your glories in this text, help to um, know you more intimately, help to follow you, Lord. And so, um, use your word, Father, soften our hearts, enable us to receive what you have for us, Lord. Do it for your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I do invite you to turn there to the beginning of Exodus. This morning we are beginning a new series in the book of Exodus. So you can either turn there in your Bible or um, one of the things we want to do in order to help you get the most out of this series is provide you with these um, Bible journals. Um, If you don't have one and you want one, you can pick one up at the back. Please just stand and head head back there. But basically, all it is is the text of Exodus on one side and, and space to write notes on the other side. Um, you can um, write sermon notes. You can record prayers in there. You can bring it on Sunday and to community group. You can highlight, circle. But basically, we want to just equip you to do whatever is best for you to get the word of God dwelling in your hearts. Again, so you can just pick one up. At the back, if you want to give a five dollar donation to help cover the cost, you can do that. But if not, just take that, use it. Don't don't just like hide it away and never come back to. But but use it, um, um, and, and please make sure you write your name in it because there's going to be like seven of these hanging around, and you just you want to make sure uh, you 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 get yours. Um, why why journaling bunk this time? Because we don't always do journaling books. Um, Reason is, um, we're going to be in Exodus for basically 11 months, um, sort of. Uh, we'll take a little bit of a break for, for summer, and then we'll probably stop near Advent and, and, and Christmas time. But basically for 30-ish Sundays, depending on how excited I get, we're, we're going to be systematically working through the book of Exodus. Sometimes we're going to go slow and just look like at a few verses, like, like this morning, and, and sometimes we're going to look at entire chapters, if not a few chapters at a time, and, and, and move a little bit quicker. But let me just encourage you, immerse yourself in this book. Um, r- get it here on a Sunday, learn, dive deeply, but then read it on your own. Re- read big chunks, get, get the big picture of Exodus, and then go back again and, and read it in smaller chunks and, and, and get the details out of it. We, we want to know the ins and outs of Exodus. Um, two more resources to recommend. Um, first one, uh, because we're going to be in this for a while is called Echoes of Exodus. It's by Alistair Roberts and Andrew Wilson. This basically traces the themes of Exodus and and helps you see where these themes appear uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, That's a great, super insightful read. The other one I want to recommend to you is The Message of Exodus by Alec Mateer, spelled M-O-T-Y-E-R. This one's $25 on Amazon. This one's I think last time I checked, $40 on Amazon. This, this is a commentary that just systematically helps explain the text. And so if you're just reading through Exodus on your own, you can maybe read this on the side. Or if you have questions while you're reading, you can just reference this. But clear, plain, simple, and incredibly helpful. Let, let me just encourage you, if you want to dive a little deeper, to, to pick those up. Um, why, why Exodus? Why Exodus? There's 66 books in the Bible. This is a, a, an ancient book dealing with an ancient people in a, in a faraway land. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of other more relevant topics we could be talking about, right? Like, like why don't you help me with my marriage, finances, parenting, for, forgiveness? Why, why, why Exodus? Well, let me, let me give you um, three reasons. Three reasons. These, these aren't my points. Anytime someone hears three, they're like, that's the pastor's point. These are just three reasons. We're still on introduction. This is why this might take more than 30 weeks. Um, uh, three reasons. One, the Exodus is central to the story of the Bible. It's central to the story of the Bible. If you want to understand the Bible, you need to understand Exodus. The Exodus is considered the defining moment for the nation of Israel. It's the Exodus that brought about the birth of Israel. And as a result of that, the rest of the Bible is constantly referring back to the book of Exodus in order to help you understand what's going on. The themes we see in Exodus, to borrow a book title, are echoed throughout the rest of the Bible. Secondly, um, the story of Israel is our story. If you want to understand what story God invites you to, if if you want to know what you're invited to and who you're invited to be and and what new birth looks like, the Bible says, look at Israel. See your story in their story. We understand something of ourselves through the exodus of Israel. So let, let me give you one place we see this explicitly in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10 says this Paul's writing, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, that's the cloud in Exodus, and all passed through the sea, that's the sea in Exodus, and all were baptized into Moses, he appears in Exodus, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, that's manna, which we'll see in Exodus, and all drank the same spiritual drink, which we'll also see in Exodus. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, and they were thrown, overthrown in the wilderness, in Exodus. Now these things, please hear this. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. But Paul here is writing to a predominantly non-Jewish audience. They, they claim no heritage in terms of like actual genealogy to, to the people of Israel, and yet Paul says they are our fathers. They're our spiritual fathers. We, we, we should learn from those events and, and apply them to our very lives. So we're invited to see Israel's story in our story. But thirdly, and most importantly, why Exodus? Exodus. Because Israel's God is our God. Their God is our God. The God who saves Israel and protects Israel and provides for Israel and lives with Israel is the God who saves us, protects us, provides for us, and lives in us. We have, I think this is one of our problems today, we have a far too small view of God. Our God is, Um, is neat and tidy and small and and we can put him in our back pocket and we just leave him there until we really are desperate and then maybe we pull him out and maybe he can do something with our situation. When when the reality and what we're going to see in Exodus is we serve a big God. Our, Our greatest problems are because we have such a small view of God. And we serve a, a big God who's actually the center of our stories. And if we see him as truly great and awesome as he is, man, that would actually shape our entire lives. That would actually transform our marriages and our parenting and our finances and empower us for forgiveness. We serve a great God. And that's why we need to see Exodus. So one thing. Here's my actual point this morning. Just just one thing I want us to see from these first seven verses. One thing we see is God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Um, Look look at verses 1 to 7 again. Let me read it once more. It says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah... Issachar, Zebulun, and and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, uh, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt, and then Joseph died, and all of his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Uh, One of the important things for us to know about the book of Exodus as a whole, it's actually more of a chapter than a book. Exodus is more of a chapter than a book. See, Exodus is the second chapter of a a larger collection called the Pentateuch. Penta standing for five. It's it's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy… And Exodus is is the second chapter in that narrative. And so actually to best understand Exodus and the entire Bible, you you need to know what comes before it, what's led up to this moment, and and what comes afterwards. Listen to what N.T. Wright says. I like this. He says this. This this should help us understand not just how we need to read Exodus, but, but the whole Bible. He says, the Bible was not primarily written in order to be read in ten-verse chunks. We have cut the Bible down to size. Now, obviously there are some bits like the Psalms and like some passages. The book of James is, is written in very short bursts. But most of it, including Paul's letters and certainly the Gospels and certainly the great books like Isaiah, and I would add Exodus, and so on, are read in order to be experienced the way you would experience a symphony. Imagine you went to a concert, and you got the first 10 bars of Beethoven 5, or Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and then the conductor turned around and said, okay, that's all for this week. Come back the same time next week, and we'll we'll have the next 10 bars. You would think, wait. And if someone said, oh, but if you listen to the whole thing, you'd never remember it all. You'd think, well, that's not the point. You don't listen to it in order to remember. You will remember quite a lot of it. You listen to it in order to be swept along in the full flow and sweep and flood of it. Exodus begins assuming we've read Genesis. Actually, the very first word is actually the word and— you want, you can write that down next to your in your journals. The the Hebrew first word here is and. Verse 1 actually should read, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. Because Exodus is assuming we've read Genesis. If not, we'd have a whole bunch of questions here. Questions like, who is Israel? Who are these sons? Why did these sons come to Egypt? Who's Joseph? How how come Joseph is already in Egypt? We'd be presented with all of those questions in verses 1 to 7. Unless we'd already read what happened in Genesis. And and so there's a number of language here which cause us to to go back and and reflect on the things that have already been talked about. So so listen to verse 7 again. Verse 7 says this, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. That language is supposed to actually take us all the way back to the very first chapter of Genesis. Listen to Genesis 1, 27 and 28. We read this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Uh, God creates Adam and Eve. He, he, he then places them in, in the garden. He says, I, I'm going to live with you, and I want you to carry out this mandate. Two things. I want you to fill the earth. I, I want you to multiply and fill the earth. You, you bear my image, You're made in the image of God, meaning there's something of God in us. And so as we would spread out and cover the earth, the image of God would also appear throughout the rest of the earth. So multiply and fill the earth with people. And secondly, though, as you spread out, expand the garden. Exercise dominion to turn the rest of the world into a garden where you can live my way and in my presence. Now, unfortunately, it was not long until God's mission for Adam and Eve and the rest of humankind fell into disarray because they sinned. And sin brought about two consequences, a whole bunch, but two things happened. Sin made the land grow thorns and weeds, which makes gardening more difficult, and sin brought about childbirth pains, which made multiplying more difficult. And so what we have in these first chapters of Genesis is is a downward spiral. Sin makes things worse and worse and worse and worse until God says, I'm starting over. He starts over with Noah, and again, the spiral goes worse and worse and worse and worse until God says, okay, once more, I'm starting over one more time, and this time with a man named Abraham. So this is what we read in Genesis 17. Again, same language. You'll you'll, you'll hear it here. Listen. Genesis 17 says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. "'Walk before me and be blameless, "'that I may make my covenant between me and you "'and may multiply you greatly.' "'Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, "'Behold, my covenant, or, or my promise, is with you, "'and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. "'No longer shall your name be called Abram, "'but your name shall be called Abraham, "'for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations.' I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourners, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." God says that through your family, Abram, now Abraham, through you and your descendants, I will fulfill my mission in the world. But this time, no, notice, notice what it said there. This is not a command. This is a promise. God doesn't say you should go and be fruitful and multiply. God doesn't say you, you, you should exercise dominion over the land. He says, I will do this. I, I'm going to do it. You're just going to be my instrument through which I do it. Again and again, he says in verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and I will, verse 7, establish my covenant with you. And verse 8, and I will give to you and to your offspring afterwards the land. And then at the end of verse 8, and I will be their God. God promises that he will make Abraham fruitful and multiply, and that he will give Abram land in which he can live God's way in God's presence. And so God's promise then, through the rest of Genesis, begins to be worked out. Abraham has a son named Isaac. And then Isaac has a son named Jacob. Now, God changes Jacob's name, just like he changed Abraham's name to Abraham, he changed Jacob's name to Israel. And so Jacob or Israel have 12 sons. The the sons are are the ones we read in the beginning of Genesis. And one of those sons is Joseph. Joseph's story we actually get right at the end of Genesis. The last uh, 11 or 12 chapters of Genesis deal specifically with Joseph's story. Uh, Joseph was Jacob's, or Israel's, favorite son. And the problem with having a favorite son, there's lots of problems, um, is, is your other siblings don't like you very much. And so Jacob's other sons decide, we don't like Joseph, or we're, we're, we're going we're to we're sell him to slavery. We're, we want to we do away with him. So, so Joseph's sold to slave traders. Those slave traders take Joseph to Egypt in Egypt, Joseph kind of climbs the ranks in, in, in Potiphar's house. Then, then he falls again. He's imprisoned. While he's in prison, we're doing, we're doing long story short here, okay? While, while, in, while in prison, he, he has a dream. He tells, he's able to tell Pharaoh that dream. Part of that dream involves there being a coming famine. And, and, and Pharaoh realizes, this man may have just, just saved my entire kingdom. This, this man might be, might be pretty helpful and useful. I'm, I'm going to make him second in command. I'm going to make him prince of Egypt. Bad movie, but anyways. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him second in command. And, and basically through Joseph, God spares Egypt from, from famine and, and starvation. But not just Egypt. Other people come now to Egypt because, because they have grain. They, they've been storing it in preparation for this famine. So some of those people who come and visit Joseph are Joseph's brothers. The very ones who, who sold him into to slavery. And so they're talking to Joseph, and Joseph does this whole thing, like they go back and forth a little bit, bring back your, your brother. Anyways, in the end, Joseph feels bad for his brothers. He goes, surprise, it's actually me. And they're like, oh, it's Joseph. I don't, he wasn't wearing a mask. I don't know why I did that. But they haven't seen him for a while. They're, all of a sudden, they realize... This, this, is a, this is the brother we, we sold into slavery. And Joseph's like, don't worry. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And then Joseph's like, you know what? Why don't you just bring the whole family to Egypt? Just, just come to Egypt. I'll take care of our dad. I'll take, I'll take care of you. And just, just things will go well. And all of a sudden, we now are in Exodus. So we just figured out who is Israel, who are these sons, why they came to Egypt, who is Joseph, and how come Joseph was already there. And now what we get is verse 7. Let me read it once more. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. God's fulfilling his promise. God's fulfilling his his covenant. God is working out his mission. Verse 5 says, actually, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. There's just one. It's just Abraham. He was 100 years old. His wife was 90 and formerly barren before they had their first child. It's just one of them. And one turned to 12, which turned to 70. And then by the time we get to Exodus 12, we we read this. Exodus 12, 37 says, And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. 600,000 men. You you double that for for women. Then you add a whole bunch of children. And you have, in conservative estimates, 3 million people. I will make you fruitful. I will multiply you. You will fill the earth. Just one of them. Now there's three million of them. Because God made a promise and he's keeping it. That's God's doing. Now now the problem though, there's one problem still. Uh, you, You hear it actually in the very first verse. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. The problem is they still don't have land. They don't. The the promise was offspring and land. The the, the promise was people and place. The the promise was dynasty and dominion. They they have people. They're, They're fruitful. But they're in Egypt. And, and God didn't say that they would live in Egypt. God said that they would live in Canaan. Canaan is the place they would dwell in God's presence and live God's way. Not Egypt. They they needed the freedom to live the way God's calling them to live, and they can't live that way in Egypt. I, I love I love what G.K. Chesterton says. I love this quote. He says, The man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. And the same goes for God. The God who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. Specifically, 400 years later from the time he made that first promise, and in Egypt. You see, we'll see this next week. Um, there, there's going to be a new Pharaoh in town, and, and this Pharaoh didn't know Joseph. Or, or his family, and, and this pharaoh is not exactly happy about Israel leaving town. He he likes the, the, the relatively cheap slave labor he's getting. He wants his glory to be known instead of God's glory to be known. And so he's like, "No, you can't leave. You can't go. You can't go to Canaan. You you, you stay here. You you work for me. I want you to live my way." And so God's going to have to keep his promises somehow. Now, spoiler, God's going to part the sea, right? If God made this promise, he's going to have to work out in power in in order to accomplish that promise. He's going to part the sea and and three million Israelites are going to leave town and, and, and make their way to Canaan. All the way until we actually get to the very last verse in the Pentateuch. The last verse says this, Deuteronomy 34, 4. Maybe it's not the last verse, but it's definitely the last chapter. Moses sees the land of Canaan, and we read this. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. Who, who, Who is our God? Who's the God of Israel? He's the God who keeps his promises. Who does whatever it takes to keep his promises. If we could get that one reality into our lives from our time in this book, it would change everything. If we believe that, oh, what help we would have in moments of fear and stress. And discouragement. That even though everything might seem against us, God's going to come through. And that God has not forgotten you, and he, and he never will. Again, sometimes we think, okay, yes, there's a God. Maybe he, he made me. Maybe I should acknowledge him once in a while. I should thank him for making me and, and everything. But really, God's kind of removed from the affairs of this world. He's like a watchmaker. He kind of like makes the watch. He he twists it up and just lets it tick. And now he just kind of like steps back and, and sends it on its merry way. So we think, right, okay, I guess it's just me now on my own. And so of course we stress, wondering, am I enough? Am, 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 I, am I doing enough? Will I make it? When the reality is that God says, I'm for you. I'm intricately involved in the affairs of this world and specifically in your lives. I'm enough, God says, and I will do it and I will make a way. And if we believe that, if we we really believe that, we would run to the Bible and mine its promises. If we believe that God keeps all of his promises, we would search, search and search and want to know what promise has God given me? What, what can be the, the anchor to my soul? Right, when the storms of life come my way, what, what can I hold on to? What is, it, what's the, what is it that God has said? What is it that he's, he's promised? We find promises that, that he'd never leave you, never leave you or forsake you. Promises that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Promises like that he's preparing a, a place for us in heaven, that that he's gone to heaven to prepare a place, and promises that he's coming back so we would be with him again. Promises that he will fill the earth with his glory and that sin and death and brokenness will be no more. Ultimately, ultimately, the greatest guarantee that God keeps his promises is Jesus. Jesus is God's promise to us that he will keep every other promise. In Jesus, God, the the second person of the Trinity, comes and what does Jesus do? He calls 12 disciples to himself. And, and, And why 12? Because God, in the person of Jesus, is saving a new people. He's saving a a new Israel. He's going to save his disciple, his 12 disciples, and and anyone else who would put their trust in him through their testimony. And and how is Jesus going to save us? Not just by parting the waters of the Red Sea, but by parting the waters of death itself. Jesus enters into death and walks out the backside He he dies on the cross, he's buried for three days, and after three days, he, he comes back to life so that even though we may die, if we put our trust in him, we too may come back to life and have everlasting life. Because of Jesus, we become inheritors of the promise. We become the children of God. We become offspring. And one day we will live with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth, which is the promise of land. Jesus is God having come to keep his promises, even at the cost of his very own life. So let me, let me, let me end like this. One more thing about God's promise. God keeps his promise to us. Please hear this. Please hear this. Despite our unfaithfulness towards him. God keeps his promise to us even when we don't keep our promises to him. Whatever your sin, whatever you've done, or whatever has been done to you, your sin or being sinned against cannot negate God's promises to you. What's, the, what's your worst sin? Don't, you don't have to say that out loud. Um, what's, the, what's the worst you got? It, I, I guarantee you it can't negate the promises of God. You know, you know how I know that? Because God saves this family, these 12 brothers that, that we've just read about, and they're awful. They're far worse than, you, than, than we are. Let, let me tell you about some of these people. Um, Abraham, okay, the first person to be given the promise was an idolater who worshipped a moon god. And even after he put his trust in God, he decided he needed to sleep with his wife's servant in order to produce the promised heir. That's Abraham. How about Isaac? Isaac was a liar who lied about Rebekah not being his wife in order to save his own bacon. Jacob was a cheat He cheated his older brother out of his birthright. He did that to his dad who was blind. Talk about taking advantage of someone. And he showed favoritism to his son Joseph. Again, an awful and wicked thing. And all of these brothers, all of the sons except Joseph, sold Joseph into slavery and pretended to murder him and covered it up so that their dad wouldn't know about it. And Judah, the one from which Jesus would come, slept with his daughter-in-law. And yet still God kept his promise to this family. When Jesus died, Jesus died for murderers, liars, thieves, and betrayers. And those are just some of his 12 disciples. So I don't know. I have no idea what the worst you've done is. I have no idea what the worst someone else has done to you. Man, as awful as both of those are, you need to hear they can't stop God from working out his promises in your life. Promises to give you everlasting life. Promises to make you his own forever and ever and ever. Whatever you have done, whatever you will do, will never change how much God loves you. And even if you do good things, God still won't love you anymore because he loves you with all that he already has. God keeps all of his promises because God's promises are not dependent upon who we are but upon who he is. God's promises are not dependent upon our faithfulness but upon his faithfulness. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow— our God is the God of Israel, and our God is the God of Exodus. So trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we, we are blown away by your faithfulness, and frankly, it's hard to believe because so many have been unfaithful to us, and we've been unfaithful. And so, why, 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 of all people, God, would you be faithful? And so, God, I pray when we doubt your faithfulness, help us to look at Jesus, to see just how much he loves us, to see that he was willing to die so that we might belong to you. Father, I I pray for those who are in a dark place right now, who feel stressed and anxious, Lord, who don't know what the path ahead looks like. Father, I pray that you would specifically draw near to them in their lives and, and, and remind them, Lord, that you are with them, that you won't forsake them, that you've got this and they don't have to. Father, would you work out your plans in our life so that we would see you as glorious? God, orchestrate situations, Lord, so that you get all the credit, all the honor, all, all the praise. God, b- blow us away, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.